Hey, I am so grateful to be speaking to you, and it is always such an honor to be able to bring the word to you. One day, I do hope, and I do know that I will be with you face to face. But in this moment, let's believe together that as I bring the word to you, the Holy Spirit's gonna speak to you right where you're at and literally can change the trajectory of your life because what I wanna share with you is such an important truth, especially in this season that we are in as Christ followers. You know, the book of Acts is a story of how the church started and it began as a small group of leaders in one city. And in this one city, it was kind of the apostles, the Peters of the church who did a lot of the preaching and thousands got saved. And then one incident took place in Acts chapter 7, where one of the leaders named Stephen was martyred for his faith. And it caused everybody to kind of scatter. And from that moment on, the book of Acts records everybody being involved in the work of the Lord. Everybody, people like Philip and others who weren't apostles, but nonetheless were used by God in bringing his good news, his light, into a world, into a society, into a people who didn't know Jesus. And we have a picture for us in this book with one specific story that for me is very challenging as an individual. And honestly, I pray that with no condemnation, it will be challenging for you because it's a story of Saul becoming converted. He would have a great ministry to the world. And yet in this story, which many of us are familiar with, he is beginning as really a religious terrorist. He has gotten papers, he is going outside of Jerusalem into the other cities, and he is finding Christians, and he is finding the church, and he is imprisoning them, and he is torturing them. He is about as evil as you can get, and along the road as he is journeying, he is met by Jesus, and he has this moment that he fully doesn't understand yet, but God has divinely interrupted his life. And now God needs somebody to come alongside and fulfill the work that God wants to do. And it's a picture of you and I that God is at work in the lives of people around us. He is divinely interrupting them and they don't fully understand what is happening, but he is at work and he needs you and I to come alongside what he is doing to fulfill the work that he is doing in bringing his grace and his love and the glory of Jesus into their life. So God taps a disciple by the name of Ananias on the shoulder. And he says, Ananias, it's your turn, just like God taps you and I on the shoulder. Your turn. But in Ananias, we have a picture of ourselves because Ananias doesn't want to do what God has asked him to do. And in this story of Ananias, we basically have the story of two blind men because we know that Saul is blinded by his moment with God. But we also see that Ananias is blind because he can't see what God is doing. And I want to share with you a few thoughts from the story of Ananias out of Acts chapter 9, answering three questions that we all have to face. Why are we blind when it comes to those around us who don't know Christ? What should we be seeing in them that Ananias yet cannot see? And how is our sight restored? First, why are we blind? Let's read from Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 14. Here's what it says. It says, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. 
He's not a high-ranking official. He's devout, the Bible tells us. He's like you and I. He's not really well-known, and yet God taps him on the shoulder. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on State Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Why are we blind? God gives us an insight through the person of Ananias. You see, Ananias cannot see God at work. And there's a few reasons in this story that we discover why he and why we don't see God at work in those around us, our family members, our co-workers, our neighbors. First, Ananias knows the experience he and the church have had with Saul. He says, listen, God, this man, he's imprisoned my brothers and sisters. Ananias may have had an uncle in the church in Jerusalem who was brutally beaten by Saul and his people. And for many of us, we have had past hurts and even present hurts, experiences that have caused us a lot of pain with people who do not know Christ because people who do not know Christ sometimes don't behave very Christianly. And they say words that hurt us and they mock us. Some of you may have adult children who have kind of gone off the rails and their behavior towards the family and towards you is incredibly painful. And because of that experience, like Ananias, we cannot see that God is at work. We define those people by the pain they have brought into our life. We define them by the difficulty that they have made our life. Even if there's not pain, sometimes they are the pain and they're just difficulty and that's how we define them. And when we look at them in that context, we say, no, God can't be at work. All of us have what I call a probably not list. If you had gone to the Christians in the first century and said, do you think Saul will become a Christ follower? They would have all said, probably not. And every one of us has a person in our world, a family member, a coworker, that neighbor who plays their music to two o'clock in the morning. And if I was to come to you and say, hey, do you think that neighbor is going to become a Christian this year? Your answer would be, uh, probably not. Because we're defining God's ability to work with them by our past experience with them. We're blind to the fact that God is at work. We're blind based upon our knowledge. Ananias does what we do. He reminds God of who Saul is. Don't you know God? Haven't you heard what he's doing? And it's what we think we know about these people. Do you know, friend, what we need to do? Is we need to shift what we think we know about the people to what we actually know about our Lord, about who he is, about how he works, about his love for these people beyond any capacity of their own to fight him off. Ananias, he's just unaware. God even tells Ananias, hey, listen, Saul, he's praying. I'm at work. Something's going on here. But Ananias is blind to it because sometimes we become blind to it when we just become consumed with our life. 
and our worlds become so busy and our days become so full. We walk in and out of grocery stores. We walk past our neighbors. Sometimes we don't speak to family members for weeks just because we're so busy and we're simply unaware. We are blind. Friend, can I tell you something? God is at work. Right now, think about that person in your world. That person who's on your probably not list. Because I know who God is. Because I know his character. Because I know his unending love and the abundance of his grace. He is at work in that person's life. God is at work in your child's life. He is at work in your co-worker's life. And we are not to be blind to that. What is it that we should be seeing? Well, the story goes on and gives us an insight into that. Look at verses 15 and 16. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. God shows three things to Ananias about Saul, who becomes Paul. Three things that I think are true of everybody God is at work as, what we should be seeing in that neighbor and in that family member and in that coworker. First of all, God says, he's my chosen instrument. He's not actually a persecutor of the church. Ananias, you're blind to my purpose in this individual, but he's my chosen instrument. We become blind to the fact that God has a purpose for every person on this planet. They literally are God's piece of art. Ephesians says, you are God's workmanship, poieia, his poem, his work of art. That's how God sees them. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. One day I was going through the mail and where I live, you get a lot of uh, mail that's just junk mail and you stand over a recycle bin and you literally throw it all away. And there was one flyer and on one side of the flyer was an advertisement. On the other side of the flyer, though, was an announcement for a girl who was eight or nine years old who had been lost for a good six months. And I only saw the one side that had the advertisement on it, and so I threw it over the recycle bin. And as it floated into the recycle bin, it flipped over. And it landed on the recycle bin, and I looked down on it, and I saw the face of this eight-year-old girl from the picture that was on the flyer. And I read how she had been lost for six months. And it just caught my eye. For me, it was just a piece of paper to be recycled, not to be thought about. But for a parent, a mom or a dad, they live in agony every day. And every day they wonder, where is she? Is she safe? When will she come home? And it struck me that that's a picture of the heart of our Lord towards our neighbor towards our coworker, where are they? Are they safe? When will they come home? God says to Ananias and he says to us, see that person the way I see them. They are my chosen instrument. They are my piece of art. Have my eyes to look at them. God goes on and he tells Ananias that Saul will carry his name. He will no longer destroy his name but he will carry his name, that he will have an identity, Saul will, as a follower of Christ. And we need to see those people who they're going to become, not who they are. If we look at who they are, we will be blind to what God's doing, but if we can look at who they become, 
then we see what God is doing and what God will bring to fruition and how he wants us to participate. A very good friend of mine is a pastor in Southern California. And when he was in his 20s, if you looked at him, you would not have seen this chosen instrument. You would not have seen somebody who carries the name of Jesus. His name is Bayless Conley, and he pastors a church in Southern California. But when he was in his 20s, he was a strung out drug addict. And one day he was in a park, long hair, hadn't showered, had had a really rough night with drugs, was all groggy. You and I, if we had seen him in the park, especially if we had had our children, we would have walked around him. Maybe as Christians, we would have looked at him and had pity and said, oh, that's too bad. What a shame. But a young little boy, I think about 12 years old, went up to Bayless in the park and said, hey, mister, do you know Jesus? God had tapped this boy on the shoulder. And all it took was one question. Bayless will tell you that that boy and that question a few days later, later, led him to a mission where he gave his life to Christ. Years and years later now, he leads a church of thousands of people. He has a television ministry that streams to a hundred countries that millions of people watch. God is asking us to see that individual who sits under a tree, whose life looks like a complete disaster but not to see them through our natural eyes, to see them as somebody who will carry the name of Christ, to have eyes of faith for them that they cannot have. And then God taps us on the shoulder and says, will you join me in reaching them? The last thing that God tells Ananias is that Saul would suffer. He would not cause suffering anymore, but now he would suffer. And what God is telling Ananias is that Saul and all the people we are referring to here, Their life is not defined by their time on this earth. Their life is defined by eternity. Because sometimes what can happen to us is we can be tempted to define somebody's life who is really off the rails just by their time on this earth. And what we communicate to them is just how they can make life better on this earth. When we see them begin to make progress and they make better choices, of course, we're grateful for that, but sometimes we're settled in that. Make no mistake about it, my friend. When God taps you on the shoulder like he did with Ananias, he is asking you to join him in a supernatural miracle. Not just an improvement of somebody's life for the 20 or 40 or 50 years they have on this planet, but for a supernatural change where they will be God's chosen instrument, where they will carry his name and their life will not be determined just by the betterment of these years but by eternity? Ananias was blind based upon experience, based upon what he thought he knew, like you and I can be blind for those around us. And then God says, here's what you should be seeing. So the question for us, especially in this age where God is wanting to reach people, I always say the gospel works best in chaos. And we are living in the middle of chaos in many ways, and God is tapping us on the shoulder. So the question for us ultimately is, how do I go from being blind to actually having this sight that God has? And the answer is given to us in the last few verses of verses 17 through 19. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, 
He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. How is our sight restored to God's sight? It's in one very simple phrase in this section of verses. Ananias looks at Saul and he says, Brother Saul, something has changed in Ananias' heart. There are many different strategies and many good ways in which you can reach your neighbor or your family member or your coworker for Christ, but make no mistake about it. It doesn't begin with the words you say. It doesn't begin with your strategies. It doesn't begin with your ability to convince them of anything. It begins with the condition of your heart reflected in your eyesight. And what has changed for Ananias that has taken him from being blind to having God's sight, the key is in these words where he calls him Brother Saul. Ananias has stopped judging Saul and now sees him in a completely different light as his brother through the love of Christ. And if we're going to be used by the Lord, we have to make this same shift. We have to shift from judging people, being in a place of judgment, to being in a position of love. Because when we are in a position of love with people, then for sure we will see them as God sees them and we will be instruments used by God. And to understand this idea, you got to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Because in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are in a perfect relationship with God. But there is a tree in the center of the garden that God says, just don't eat of that tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, it's not just the knowledge of evil. It's actually the knowledge of good and evil. And they eat of it, as we know, the Satan uh, tempts them and deceives them into thinking there's more to God than what they think. This tree represents the idea of judgment. Now you have the knowledge of good and evil. Now you know what is right and what is wrong, or at least you think you know. The sin was not just a disobedience to God. But it was actually in the act of saying, I'm now going to position myself. It's not enough that I'm God-like in loving people. I want to be God-like in judging people. And they took from the knowledge of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God even makes a comment that says, if they know that, then they've kind of become like us. But they haven't actually. Because when we're in a position of judgment, we can't carry it out like God carries it out. We don't have the authority. We're not king. We're not creator. We don't have the knowledge. God is all wise. He's all knowing. He knows our coworker. He knows our neighbor. He understands what's going on. And honestly, we don't have the pure heart he has. When we judge people, we judge them with an ulterior motive of how it makes us feel better about ourselves. And in the garden, you have this picture of why we see people the wrong way. Because we begin from a position of judgment. We look at people who come into church 10 minutes late and we judge them. We look at our neighbor who has bad lifestyle behavior and from a position of judgment, we begin to assess their life. We look at the choices some of our family members make and we judge them. And our judgments may actually even be accurate, but it's the condition of our heart I'm talking about. When you begin from the position of judgment, you are actually replaying that 
point in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate from a tree where God says no. The tree in itself isn't even seen as sin. It's the act of wanting to be like God in judging other people. There was a tree of life, which was God's provision. Then there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is God's prohibition. And God is basically saying, listen, I'm God and you're not. And I've created you to live in a trust for me and a love for people. Ananias at first didn't get this. Because of his position of judgment, he couldn't see Saul through the eyes of love and grace. That's why the New Testament is full of teachings that say, don't judge. Now, we're not talking about making healthy assessments in the relationships you have that help people. We're talking about a condition of the heart. Paul would relate to this in 1 Corinthians 13. He lists all these amazing spiritual disciplines and blessings about giving generously and about prophesying and about doing all these amazing things, teaching and preaching. And he says, but you know what? If I don't have love, it's meaningless. How do you regain your eyesight? Be honest and say, am I still functioning from a position of judgment when I look at lost people around me and not a position of love and grace, we are not satisfied being godlike in our capacity to love. We also want to become godlike in our capacity to judge, and that is how the serpent tempts us. And we have to fight that, work out our salvation, the Bible talks about. And the best way we do that as we understand the grace by which we have experienced. Jesus taught this. He said, listen, you have been so abundantly forgiven. You have received so much grace from the true judge. Now you go live that out, and when you have that love, that place of love, when you look at your coworker, or your neighbor, and especially your family member, not from a position of judgment based upon their behavior or experiences or pains of hurts, but you look at them from a position of love and grace. You begin to see them as God sees them. You begin to get a hold in faith of the beauty, the chosen instrument, the piece of art. Right now, as we close, I want you to think of that person, that individual who's on your probably not list. The person, if you were honest, you would say, Joel, I've been blind. For a variety of reasons, I have been blind. And I want to see them the way God sees them. I want to be aware so God can tap me on the shoulder and invite me to join with him. Begins by a simple prayer that says, God, forgive me for the position of judgment I have stood in in looking at others. Remind me of the grace you gave me and allow me to stand in a position of love towards others. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for your goodness 
And in this moment, I thank you for your grace and your love that you gave to each of us. And in this time of chaos, we know your gospel works best. It is the power of God. And we know that you are tapping each and every one of us on the shoulder, like you did Ananias, and you're asking us to join you in reaching a lost and dying world. Forgive us, Lord, for standing in a position of judgment. Remind us of the work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection for us. The abundant grace you gave us, we thank you for that. Open our eyes from a position of love that we can share your grace with each person, that they would become your chosen instrument, that they would be your piece of art and they would carry your name. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.